Welcome to Deepening Our Faith, a podcast series by the National Office for Evangelization. If you have any questions, please visit us, evangelizeaustralia.com. Enjoy. When I was a kid, we used to have a, a tiny little green-covered book called The Penny Catechism. And it was from that book, the Catechism, that we learned the rudiments of our faith. Now, if you talk about the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it's not this uh, thin little book with a green cover, the Penny Catechism. It's a great big fat book that for many people is a bit daunting. They, when they heard that there was going to be a Catechism of the Catholic Church, they were wanting a little uh, skinny book like the, uh, the Penny Catechism, and they've got this great fat tome. So in order to, um, to calm people and to help them explore the riches of the Catechism, uh, what was produced was this little book. It's not as little as the Penny Catechism used to be, but you'll see it's fairly small. And this is a compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And it's an extremely useful book. And that's what we're exploring here. Now, like the big fat book, this little compendium has four sections. The first section is on the creed, in other words, the basic statement of our faith. And to use the old Latin phrase, that's about the lex credendi, the law of believing, what we actually believe. The second section that I'm going to talk to you about today is on the uh, celebration of the Christian mystery. In other words, on the sacramental and liturgical life of the church. And that's what's called often the lex celebrandi, the law of celebration, more of which in a moment. The third section is the, about the moral life of, of Christianity, what it means to be a disciple in that moral sense. And that's what we call in the old Latin tag the lex vivendi, the law of how we live. And then the final section of the catechism and the compendium is on the life of prayer that is so fundamental to the Christian life. And that's what is called often in the old Latin tag, the lex orandi. So the lex credendi, belief, the lex celebrandi, what we celebrate in the mystery, the lex vivendi, how we live, and then the lex orandi, how we pray. Now, first of all, words, because words do matter and they can be confusing. For instance, even this part two of the compendium says, the celebration of the Christian mystery. There are two words at least there that could be problematic. The first is celebration and the second is mystery. So let's just look at them for a moment. When we talk about celebration, we think of celebrating Christmas or celebrating a birthday party and we can think that that's what we mean when we talk about celebrating the Christian mystery, particularly in the liturgical and sacramental life of the church. But what we mean by celebration, in fact, is something stronger. Really what it means when we talk about celebration in this context is making present that which, which was past. In other words, the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the Christian mystery. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the Christian mystery and we make that, that event and its power present. In other words, Jesus dying and rising is not once upon a time. Jesus is here and now. In other words, his presence and power. So that's what celebration means. It's got a much stronger sense than the word celebration has in our normal secular usage. Now, mystery, when we think of mystery, we often think of Agatha Christie. But in this context, we mean something quite different than a whodunit. A mystery in this context is not something we can't know or don't know. 
It's not a kind of theological whodunit. The word in Greek, mysterion, is really very similar to the Latin word sacramentum that becomes in English our sacrament. In other words, in fact, it's a sign that reveals something, not something a sign that conceals, something we don't know, something that in that sense is mysterious, but it is actually a sign that reveals something. In other words, Jesus dying and rising is the sign. And we celebrate the sign of Jesus dying and rising in the liturgical and sacramental life of the church. So, so celebration is stronger, mystery is different. Uh, another word that I've used is liturgy. Again, it's a Greek word, liturgia. What it means basically in its secular sense in, in Greek is um, a kind of a public service that you render to the state or to the gods. And it's from this word that we get that, uh, the English expression divine service, or, or in German they talk about Gottesdienst, the service of God. So liturgy just means the service or duty that we owe to God. So when we, when we worship God, we are simply returning to God that which is his right. In other words, it's his right and therefore it's our duty. We render service to God in our act of worship. The, uh, the fourth uh, word that is important, because it comes up in the second part of the, of the catechism in, at the very first page, here I'm looking at it, it says the sacramental economy. Now if we uh, think of the word economy in English, we think of uh, how much money we've got in our pocket or what the government's doing to give us more money and, and all that stuff, taxes and income and the, 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 uh, the business of money in the state. The sacramental economy simply means the way in which God works. Again, it comes from the Greek, but it simply means the way in which God works. If we talk about the sacramental economy, as the, as the catechism, or the compendium and the catechism do, it's, what we're saying is that the way God works is always sacramental. In other words, under signs or through signs. Now, to understand what that means, we've got to move from words to, to the great all-encompassing mystery that we call the Incarnation. In other words, the God that Christians believe in, the God that the Catechism talks about, is very different from the God of Islam or the God of uh, Judaism or of any other religion because what we say is that this God who is infinitely transcendent, whom the whole universe, not even the universe of the human mind and imagination can contain, is in fact a God who became one of us. In other words, a God who chose to meet us where and as we are. He became a human being. He took flesh. That's what the incarnation's all about. And that's where we begin to understand what the Catechism talks about as the sacramental economy. That's the way God works. He chooses to meet us where and as we are. And he does this in a particular time and place and culture. I mean, don't ask me why God chose the first century of this era or why God chose Palestine uh, and so on. I can't answer the question. All I can say is the Christian faith proclaims, and I believe, that in Jesus of Nazareth we find not just a wise teacher or some extraordinary miracle worker or a heroic liberation fighter who was ripped apart by the brutal Romans. In fact, we find God with us. In other words, at this point, what I'm saying 
is that Jesus is the sacrament. That's where we begin to understand. He is the sign that we could see and hear and touch the sign of who God is. I mean, we want to know who God is, what God's like. The answer that God gives is, look at Jesus. If you want to know who I am, God, if you want to know what I'm like, and there is no question more important in human life, then you just look at Jesus. The famous philosopher and mathematician in England, Bertrand Russell, said, who was a famous atheist, he said that when he got to heaven, he was going to say to God, if God existed, but God, why did you make yourself so hard to discover? Why didn't you declare yourself more clearly? To which God would reply, but I gave you Jesus. What else did you want? So, in Jesus, we see God with us. He is the sign the sacrament, in that sense, the mystery that shows us who God is and what God is like, particularly in his death and resurrection. You can never get away from those things. His death and resurrection. It's only once Jesus is, is, is torn apart because perfect love, which God is, is perfectly violated in the death of Jesus. That's part of the sign, that God is this perfect love that is therefore perfectly violated when it touches sinful earth. But in the resurrection of Jesus, perfect love is perfectly vindicated beyond the perfect violation. So there, there we see what God is, a love that nothing and no one can destroy. That's the thing, the great mystery which Jesus is. That's the sacrament. That's, that's what he, he is sign of forever, that the triumph that the invincibility of the perfect love which God is. Now, what we then go on to say, as the Catechism points out, is that the church is gathered together by Jesus as his body. Now, this is an incredible description of the church that St Paul came up with. He said that these communities gathered around the Mediterranean basin in the time that St Paul knew that these communities weren't just human associations. They were in fact the body of, of Jesus, who is the sacrament, the body of Christ in all their ordinariness. Now, how is this possible? Because into this body, we are told, there is breathed the Holy Spirit. It's what Pentecost is all about. The Holy Spirit breathed into this community of human beings, flesh and blood, becomes the body of Jesus and he is the head and we are the body. If the church does not have the Holy Spirit breathed into her, the church is just a corpse. But if the church has the Spirit of Jesus breathed into her, just as the Spirit of, Jesus, the Spirit of God was breathed into Jesus to raise him from the dead, then the church is not just a corpse at all. For all the woundedness of the church, the church in fact glows with the life of the risen Christ and becomes his body. So that's, that's the, when we, the next step we take in understanding this sacramental economy, the way God works. God has chosen to gather into Jesus, not just around him, but actually into Jesus. Here again I use the language of St Paul. A community of people, it's now something over a billion, all very ordinary people, all sinners like you and me, but into this community there is breathed the Holy Spirit that makes the church what the Second Vatican Council called the sacrament of salvation. Alright, so Jesus is the sacrament and every other sacrament is derivative. 
but the first sacrament, as it were, the prime sacrament that derives from Jesus crucified and risen is the church. Now, within the life of the church, there are what we call seven sacraments. Seven moments given to us by Christ, because we say the sacraments were instituted by Christ. These seven moments, seven moments of celebration in that strong sense that I mentioned earlier, where Christ himself is present among us. And, and these, are, these are the seven sacraments of the church, which is herself a sacrament of Jesus himself, who is the original sacrament. Historically, the church wasn't too sure how many sacraments there were. In the medieval time, uh, there were some theologians who said, oh, I think there should be 12 sacraments. But eventually, at the Council of Trent, the church decided that there were seven sacraments. Some of the Protestant churches say that there are only two, baptism and, and the Eucharist, and so on. So there has been debate through history about how many sacraments there are, but as the Catechism says, the Catholic faith is that there are seven sacraments. Baptism, Confirmation and Eucharist, which together form the sacraments of initiation. In other words, the beginning of the Christian, the journey of faith, the life of discipleship, that journey which begins in baptism, but which has no end because it goes through death into eternity and into the infinite abyss of God. Beyond those sacraments of initiation, you then have the sacrament of reconciliation, which was sometimes called the second plank of salvation, in other words, uh, when you sin after baptism and initiation, there is a second plank, this, this uh, surge of new hope that comes to us through the mercy of God. All right, the sacrament of reconciliation, and it is tied to the anointing of the sick, which is again a sacrament of healing and mercy and forgiveness. So in other words, what these sacraments do is that they make present to us here and now the mercy of God. Again, God who gets down among us, who meets us where and as we are, and who wants to offer us mercy. When does God never ever want to deny us mercy? The answer is he always wants to offer mercy. How does he do it? In ways we can see and hear and touch. Then we have sacraments such as orders and marriage, where, where there is the lifelong commitment either to the service of the church in orders or to the life of love, live differently in marriage. But these again are moments where the love of God is seen and touched and heard. So, so in, in the seven sacraments, you, you have these moments where again the incarnation is seen in our midst, where God once again takes flesh in Jesus because there's no other way for him to do it. And in Jesus, he draws us into his life in the sacraments of initiation. In Jesus, he offers us his mercy and healing in the sacraments of reconciliation and anointing. And in marriage and orders, we again see that God seals with his own love, the, the love that draws the priest to the church and draws spouses to each other. So supreme among these sacraments is, is what we call the Eucharist. Again, it's Greek keeping in mind that the first language of Christianity was Greek, the word Eucharist simply means thanksgiving. But it's, it's, it's not just any ordinary old thanksgiving. It's not like Thanksgiving Day in the United States when they simply recall the Pilgrim Fathers arriving on the shores of the New World. The Eucharist is primarily making present the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary and the resurrection of Jesus. 
sometimes people think that the Eucharist is really uh, a role play of, of the Last Supper. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth and that's not what you'll find in this little book. Uh, the Eucharist is not just remembering something that happened once upon a time, it is making that, that event present and offering us the power, the liberating power of Christ's own sacrifice so that we too are drawn into the mystery of his death and his resurrection. It's not an event once upon a time, it actually becomes the, the pulsating living heart of our life together as Christians. So the Eucharist we call sometimes the blessed sacrament, well all sacraments are blessed, but the Eucharist in Catholic faith and, and life has always had a very special place. But again, consider, if the Holy Spirit does not come upon the bread and wine of the Eucharist, it stays just bread and wine. So that, that what really matters in each of the seven sacraments is the things that are very ordinary. Uh, bread and wine could hardly be more ordinary. But, but the Holy Spirit comes upon that which is very ordinary and transfigures it, turns it into something which glows with another life. But in the end, all of this looks to a, a, a profoundly Catholic sense of uh, the sacramental vision of the cosmos because it isn't just about these seven sacraments. The sacramental vision says that the body matters, uh, that flesh matters. Whereas often enough in the history of the church, Heresy has said that the body is bad, a sacramental vision of things, a sacramental understanding of the way in which God works says that the body matters enormously. And that's why Christians talk about the resurrection of the body beyond death. The body itself will be raised to new life. And if the body matters, then so too does the whole of all the world of matter. And this is, there's a basis here for a, a Christian spirituality of ecology, looking after the created world because again all the world of matter glows with the presence of God once God decides to be a God who takes flesh. So, so the, the, the world of matter, the whole of the creation glows with another presence or St Paul puts it differently when he says the whole of the creation groans in a great act of giving birth, there's something deep within that we can't see at the moment. So, so groaning in a great act of giving birth glowing with a presence which in the end is the presence of God. So, so the whole of the cosmos is gathered up into this sacramental economy or sacramental vision as I've been saying. The church as sacrament of salvation is called to mission and you'll never understand the celebration of the Christian mystery in liturgy or in sacraments unless you understand that the church is sent on mission into the world. The Eucharist Supreme, I've said it's the, the unique sacrament, the most blessed sacrament, but, but the Eucharist is really about the church being fed and empowered in a way that enables us to go out and, and to, to, to be Christ to the world. In other words, not just to, to consume the, the body broken and the blood poured out, but actually then to go out into the world and to be the body broken and the blood poured out for the life of the world. At the end of Mass, the priest says, go forth, the Mass is ended. In other words, don't stay here in the church. Don't stay here in the sacramental circle. Having, having been empowered here, get out there and now live the mystery that you have celebrated. 
So, so the celebration of the Christian mystery in the sacraments and in the liturgical life of the church is really all about empowering us to, uh, to go out and to, to live the, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So uh, mission is where it comes to, but where it begins is in the fundamental mission, which is Jesus sent by God into the world. That's where we begin to understand mission. I said Jesus was the first sacrament. What I would also say is that Jesus is the prime mission. Uh, and that's where the church has a mission and where each of the baptised has his or her own mission. So in the Catechism, the lex credendi, the law of belief, what we have to believe. The lex celebrandi, the law of celebration, what we celebrate in the, in the Christian mystery what we celebrate in the sacramental and liturgical life of the church, but that then leading to the, uh, the lex vivendi, the law of, uh, of how we live the life of discipleship. What is Christian morality? And then finally, uh, as we're drawn into the mystery of God, the lex orandi, the, the law of, of, of Christian prayer. But all of this by way of us being drawn into the life of a God who does not choose to stay distant but a God who almost unbelievably decides to become one of us and to share every aspect of our human life. If you look at the story of Jesus, the God who is born, the God who has spent nine months in a womb, the God who then grows up, uh, the God who then um, emerges from private life into public life, has a public ministry, the God who knows persecution the God who finally is executed as a criminal on a cross, but then triumphantly the God who rises from that, the depths of that degradation, that darkness, to a life that, that nothing and no one can take away. That's the life, the fullness of life, what we call the life of resurrection for which we were created. Death and sin are not native to the human being. We were created for a life that is much, much bigger than death. That life that is bigger than death is not something that just awaits us down the track or beyond death or in heaven. It's a life that comes to meet us here and now on the earth where and as we are. And that life touches us splendidly and supremely in what we call the sacraments. The sacrament of Jesus, the sacrament of the church and the seven sacraments that, that, that become the, 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 uh, the central point the, the pulsating heart of the life of the Catholic Church. So may this life be yours so that you may come to know the God who has become one of us so that we might become him. If you would like more information about what you've just heard, please contact us at info at evangelizeaustralia.com or visit our website evangelizeaustralia.com.